Welcome to the Later in Life Planning Show with Patrick Colley, brought to you by Keystone Elder Law, right here on News Radio WHP 580. Now, here's your host, Patrick Colley. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. I'm Patrick Colley. I'm the owner of Keystone Elder Law, and I'm your host on this show. If you are a regular listener, you know that I usually bring in a guest or two guests, uh, and I put the spotlight on their area of expertise, but every single episode is building another piece of that shield that hopefully protects you from the challenges, the costs of getting older. That That is our mission statement at Keystone Elder Law, shielding you from the costs and challenges of getting older. And if you want to find previous episodes, you can go to whp580.com, go into the upper left-hand corner. There's a menu there, and under podcasts, you will find the Later in Life Planning Show. You can also find us on any podcast app on your phone as well. But today's episode, I'm going to build on the other pieces from uh, our most recent guest talking about Medicare. I've spoken in the past about certain legal planning tools. We've had health experts talking about dementia, cardiovascular disease, all these different things you want to be aware of. But, you know, I fully realize that none of this is subject matter that anybody wants to think a whole lot about. I mean, we live in a country where... If you turn on the TV, uh, you know, you're going to be inundated with one thing after another reminding you how important it is to stay young, to stay healthy, to stay independent. And nobody wants to to think about, you know, towards the end of life, close to 70% of people needing a higher level of care. And I do my best to sort of say, well, this is the reality. This is what I see week in and week out at Keystone Elder Law. And I want to tell you what the experiences have been for other people. So, you know, you don't have to dwell on it. It doesn't have to be a dark subject, but it's taking away a taboo. And it's really starting to think practically so that you can have a plan for your own circumstances, whether it's you and your spouse, whether it's your parent Uh, that you might be giving a little extra help to. That's what this is all about. So, you know, there, there comes a time when I'm dealing with, let's say, the parent, an older adult at Keystone Elder Law, and, you know, maybe they're incapacitated by dementia or physical mobility problems, a stroke, whatever the case may be. And I tend to be working with sometimes the healthier spouse, but almost always the adult children. And, we get through this whole lengthy process of identifying the appropriate care need for the parent. We are going to figure out how to pay these just incredibly large bills for long-term care. And you can just tell that the the family members have no clue about this. They, they had no idea this was coming. It's an all-hands-on-deck emergency. It's a crisis for them. And it's a crisis not only because they're concerned about the well-being of their family member, but they're also seeing these bills. And, you know, if dad is in the nursing home now and mom's at home and and every month it costs $13,000 for that level of care, everybody's concerned about mom too. You know, what is she going to live on? Is she going to go into, uh, into poverty because uh, dad, you know, got sick? And that's what we're there for at Keystone Elder Law. But I want to tell you that without fail, 
by the by the end of the process where legal tools come into play there's a lot of financial uh movement m- money going uh, you know out of dad's name into mom's name uh, a- applying for medicaid to pay for that long term care at the end of all of that the adult children turn to me and say i have none of the planning that you just used for them uh, you know, we need to, to get something in place for us. And, and so we start all over gathering information about the adult children. Uh, of course, the sooner you start planning, the more we can actually do for you. The sooner you get out in front of these crises of, of health declines that happen all the time, the better, because there's just more we can do to preserve your hard-earned savings and to preserve the, the sanity and the emotional well-being of the whole family as well. But let's talk about one thing that I'm sure preceded that conversation where the adult children, maybe a healthy spouse, are in my office. They're all distraught because of a nursing home situation. I, I can promise you that somewhere all along the lines, if, if they ever discussed long-term care, probably it was a request by somebody, don't ever put me into a nursing home. You know, make that promise to me. And let's talk about that promise because nobody wants to leave their home. That's where your memories are. It's your independence. It's your dignity. It's the one thing you still have a little bit of control over. So I get it. And we find every possible way to keep people in their homes. But it's a promise made without knowing at all what the details look like. It's so easy to say, yes, I promise I'll never put you into a nursing home. But what is it really going to involve? Because yet, you know, if it's a person has maybe a slow decline, uh, physical, mental decline, or they have a sudden catastrophic event, um, it doesn't matter. I mean, the 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 need for assistance is going to be there, and the question is: Is the family member or members are you know is there the ability to provide the safety and the care that that person really needs? So it, it under, you have to understand, what is caregiving? So before you just say, I promise, I will never put you into a nursing home, understand what you're signing up for. Caregiving can range from maybe doing just a single task every once in a while, you know, maybe helping mom pay her bills, um, taking mom to the occasional doctor appointment, or it could be something as intense as household chores, Driving to those doctor's appointments, scheduling the doctor's appointments, uh, monitoring whether mom is eating and uh, taking medications, and even hands-on personal care. So think about that. I mean, paying bills or driving someone to the store or the doctor's office might sound pretty manageable, but how many of us have really given thought to uh, bathing a parent or a spouse, uh, helping them with the bathroom? I mean, it takes some adjustment. Of course, you know, in the right family circumstances with a, a, a good, tight relationship, people will do that because they love their family member. But it takes some adjustment. I mean, that's outside the, the comfort zone for most people. And caregiving tends to start out with just a few tasks here and there. But over time, the number of the tasks and their complexity gradually increases. So some people may be emotionally, physically, socially equipped to provide intense and intimate care when it gets to that level, but not everybody is. And, and there's a lot of factors why that's, that's the case. I mean, family relationships are, are one thing or the structure of the family. Um, 
might be one thing, but it's also the stage of life of the adult child or the parent or the, the healthy spouse. It's where do they live geographically? Is this even going to work? So, you know, do they have a job that that keeps them busy all the time? Family life that keeps them busy all the time. There's a lot of factors that come into play when you think, am I going to be able to deliver on this promise not to put somebody into a higher level of care? And couples, married couples who are hearing this might think, well, isn't this an extension of my my wedding vows? You know, didn't we say for better or for worse in sickness and in health? And, you know, I get the intent behind those vows, and I don't mean to diminish them at all. It's it's being committed to each other when it's easy and when it's hard. But sometimes being committed to that person means you have to recognize your own limitations and your own strengths. It, it has to recognize that, you, you know, maybe the responsibility there is to use available resources to make sure that your partner's needs are met. It's not... I must, you know, destroy my own health in the process, uh, maybe get injured by trying to lift my spouse. It, it's not that. that. That would defeat the whole purpose. So really understanding this promise, I will, I will always care for you. I'm never going to take you out of your home. I'm never going to put you into a higher level of care. You have to understand what it really looks like. So... More on this when we come back from a break, and I, I want to break down some of the other ideas that people have, like when you hear caregiving, you tend to think, well, this is, this is women taking care of men. And sure, women live longer than men, but women are more likely to develop Alzheimer's just to take one source of incapacity. So I, there are plenty of times where we see husbands taking care of wives, uh, sons taking care of mothers, even nephews taking care of, of, of aunts. So it's not just uh, a one-sided thing. And then you get into the strengths and limitations that men have versus women, and there's a whole lot more to talk about. When we get to the, the kind of planning you can be doing, understanding the levels of care, how much they cost, how are you going to pay for it, what are some things you can be doing now, that's what I do free education about every single week. And if you go to keystoneelderlaw.com and use the workshops tab, you can get signed up for one of the upcoming online workshops, take it in from your own home, learn about asset preservation for the middle class, learn about how you're going to pay for long-term care, and ask questions. And I answer all kinds of questions as well. More on all of this in a moment when we come back with the Later in Life Planning Show sponsored by Keystone Elder Law on News Radio WHP 580. Now, more of the Later in Life Planning Show here on News Radio WHP 580. We are back on the Later in Life Planning Show sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. I am your host, Patrick Cauley, and today I'm talking about that phenomenon where a family seems to get blindsided by something that is entirely predictable. The statistics say that close to 70% of the population will need some higher level of care. Uh, It still astonishes me that people show up to an assisted living facility or a nursing home and they don't even have a power of attorney as far as legal planning goes. They're sometimes even surprised, I'm told, that you have to pay money to that facility to to provide around-the-clock care. Um, and, of course, people are, are maybe surprised that Medicare 
your health insurance when you get over the age of 65 is not going to pay for anything with long-term care. So, I mean, there's just all kinds of factors that week after week this show is uh, trying to to show you little little glimpses of what could happen in the future. But the actual caregiving itself is something that I think surprises people, the level of stress and so forth so forth. And and I've said before on this show there just in the last several months some statistics came out and this is Pennsylvania specific that by 2030, only 7 years from now, the population of people 85 years of age and older is going to nearly double. And so what does that mean in turn? It means if 70% of the population needs a higher level of care, one out of every three is going to have dementia. That means there's going to be a need for a whole lot more caregivers than we currently have, and not just in a professional setting where that's what they do for a living, but family caregivers as well. Um, I mentioned before the break that women are slightly more likely to have dementia than men. So, you know, that that then leads you to wonder, okay, are the, the male family members in, in your family equipped and prepared to be in that role? Uh, Or is this just going to blindside them and it's going to cause not only emotional but also financial trouble for everybody involved? This is where a little bit of planning goes an awful long way. But you think about it, you know, do men and women view and experience caregiving roles differently? In the past, um, Keystone Elder Law has had a, a free support group for the spouses of people who have uh, advanced stage dementia, because that is quite an emotional uh, experience to have, and it helps to be around other people and hear their experiences. But there was one gentleman in particular um, who continued, um, even after his wife uh, was you know, cared for her with Alzheimer's for something like a dozen years, she passed away. He kept coming to the support group at Keystone Elder Law, and he wanted to share his experience with other people. And one thing that he tended to share was that his largest hurdle about caregiving was his self-doubt, his uncertainty about whether he would have the ability to become a nurturer because, you know, he just didn't feel that was his go-to mentality. You know, he was more of the, you know, pay the bills for the family, keep everything in order, Run, run everything like a business. So becoming a nurturer, he just wondered whether he was doing a good job. And he really, I thought, uh, suspected, maybe accurately, that a lot of men are probably not naturally uh, the type of people who will have patience, gentleness, uh, have the hands-on skills required for caregiving. So this was a, a difficult adjustment for him. And you know, one thing that, that we tried to impart to him, and, and I will say to all of you, is, and this has been studied, um, one study going back a number of years was at Bowling Green State University, where they, they showed that men tend to have what they called a block and tackle approach. Um, and so, you know, if you're, a, if you're a football fan, maybe you're following along here, the caregiver completes one task, and then without thinking about that task anymore, moves directly on to the next one. And so that's how this gentleman's process was. He was he would define the problem, he would identify possible solutions, and then he would try each solution to see if it worked, and if it didn't, he'd find another one. Um, and so 
his emotions were able to stay on a uh, sort of an even keel. And the Bowling Green researchers determined that while women may by nature or by just learning uh, how what they were taught in their lives, they may be more nurturing than men, they also tend to dwell more on their performance of caregiving tasks. So they're not just blocking and tackling. They're not moving on to the next thing. They're, they're going to have more anxiety and higher stress levels because they're up in their head longer wondering whether they're doing something uh, an appropriate way. So just an, an interesting insight into the difference between men and women when it comes to being in this role where if we've promised to, uh, in sickness and in health, be there for someone, how, how are you going to be equipped and how are you going to experience uh, that, that caregiving role? Men also tend to use different methods. So when assistance is needed, those, those researchers at Bowling Green found that men are more reluctant to ask for help than women are. And that was certainly the, the, the experience with the gentleman I was just discussing. Um, in a Pew Research Center study found that caregiving men um, are only half as likely as women to even report that they are providing personal care to a loved one. They're not even telling anybody about it, much less asking for help. So when the need is frequent emotional support, the percentages of men and women who report that they provide this type of care uh, is a little bit closer, but men are more reluctant to talk about caregiving at all, especially of a more uh, you know, physically uh, rigorous kind. So this is something where, you know, just thinking about your family members, who, who are, you know, wh- whether it's geographical, whether it is um, free time, whether it is just their personality, these are some factors that maybe are going to be interesting as you start to think who's most likely going to be there for me and how am I going to show up for the people who need me? Because this is, you know, this show is intended not only for those of you who know somebody who is on the cusp of needing a higher level of care, it's so that you can plan well in advance of needing that care yourself and understanding who's going to be the best person. So much of what we do at Keystone Elder Law is, you know, it, I'm an attorney, so of course I'm focusing on some of the legal tools that, and, and nothing is more effective for planning ahead than the power of attorney. And I talk to people about what's the skill set you want here. Well, you know, that block and tackle approach is going to be good because, you know, it's just who, who pays their own bills. You know, who's going to be able to organize your finances? Who's going to be able to make sure your taxes get done? Who's going to take all of these little things that we tend to take for granted and just get them done? One task, done. Move on to the next one. Get that task done. Move on to the next one. So having a power of attorney who can do that uh, for you, um, that's going to be one skill set. It's really one of organization. But when you get to caregiving roles, when you get to the healthcare power of attorney, who's going to be speaking with the doctor and saying yes or no to a particular medical treatment, a proposed course of treatment? Now that's a little bit different because there's this emotional component that I was just talking about. And is the person going to be willing to ask for help? Are they, are they going to reach out to available resources? So you start to see this promise that people make, I will take care of you. It's not I and I alone. It's, it's I along with whatever resources I can marshal to bring to the table are, are going to be there for you. And it's not necessarily uh, one method 
There might be many methods, and it might be that the best care is outside the home. We've spoken in previous episodes about the uh, statistics, the public health statistics out there on the impact on longevity and health span of the spousal caregiver just from having to care for someone who has dementia because they're not sleeping, uh, they're, they're, you know, they injure themselves from lifting somebody off the floor after a fall. There's all of these reasons why it just drains the spousal caregiver. Is that really what was intended by that promise, I will take care of you in sickness and in health? You know, that promise, no, I'll, I'll keep you in your home. Well, that's not good for either one of you, and I don't think that's what either one of you had in mind when you made the promises in the first place. So, you know, I, the, the gentleman I mentioned earlier, um, you know, he, it even extended to family members. So the difference between men and women, this gentleman, um, when, when we asked him, you know, how is the family supporting your decisions and supporting the care that you're providing for your wife? And he said it was interesting. His, his wife's brother accepted everything he said about her behavior as fact, but her sister's tended to question him and blame him, accused him even of doing something wrong. Um, you know, so so it's not just the person who's who's providing the care, it's the people who are, are, are around. And uh, you might have difficulty convincing them that everything is going the, as well as it possibly can. And it helps to have maybe a third party like a physician weigh in and give objective facts because that, that's more likely to be credible to those people. All very, very interesting differences, uh, men and women, and the roles we play when we're caregiving. More on this when we come back from a break. This is the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law on News Radio WHP 580. Welcome back to the Later in Life Planning Show on News Radio WHP 580. Here's Patrick Colley. We are back on the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. I'm your host, Patrick Cauley, and I'm speaking today specifically about the roles we find ourselves in as family caregivers and the surprises that a lot of people have. Um, it, It should not be a surprise that you should have certain legal planning and financial planning because this is a legal problem in addition to being an emotional challenge for the whole family. And what what I do week in and week out with the show and and weekly online webinars, which you can find at keystoneelderlaw.com using the workshops tab, is teach people how to anticipate these challenges and how to be ready. Certainly, there's a financial component. There, there is a heavy legal component, especially if you're looking to preserve assets from the cost of long-term care, preserve assets from maybe some family dynamic situations, There are some common tax mistakes that middle-class families make pretty regularly, and that's what I'm trying to get out in front of and and steer people in the right direction. So that's all free education. Go to keystoneelderlaw.com and use the workshops tab to get signed up for more of that. But today I'm talking really about the surprise that seems to come to people who find themselves suddenly um, with a parent or a spouse whose health is steadily declining. And I I say it's a surprise, Um, you know, this is coming for most of us. Close to 70% of the population will have a decline in health um, and will require some extra level of assistance, but yet it's still 
seems to be a surprise to a lot of the family members that I see at Keystone Elder Law when they're they're in that role. And, you know, we do our best to find all the resources that are available to make it go uh, more easily for it for the whole family. But um, a lot of uh, the the aggravation or the stress can be avoided if you start planning earlier. And I recognize this is, you know, not the best dinner table conversation, but it's it's it absolutely worth it if you take the time to think about these things. And one thing that happens when you don't take the time to uh, to plan ahead is family conflict. And this is a big part of how I work with estate planning clients when everybody's healthy and we're trying to think ahead. I want to know, how do the children get along with each other? How do they get along with the parents? Even more so if it's a second uh, marriage, maybe children from previous relationships, how do they get along with each other? How do they get along with the parents? Because we're going to try to do a lot of things like incapacity planning, maybe a little bit of tax planning. We're going to preserve assets from predictable threats. Uh, all of this can and should be part of your estate planning conversation. But underlying it all is the idea that nobody wants to be that family where when you pass away, none of the children are speaking to each other anymore. That's not the kind of legacy that most people want to have. But even before you pass away, there can be family conflict. There can be uh, extremely tense interactions uh, among siblings. And that's when, you know, one of the somebody has to be in a, in a caregiving role uh, because of a parent needing that level of care. So it's stressful not only for the caregiving child, but it's stressful for the parent as well because no parent enjoys seeing his or her, her children fight and they probably want their final years on earth to be as peaceful as, as possible. Well, you start uh, achieving that peace with good communication well before there's a need for caregiving. Um, this is where, you know, discussing the preferences of the older adult, the parent, uh, for, for their lifestyle. Where do they want to live? Or what's their comfort level with moving out of the home into a, a uh, care community? What are their beliefs about end-of-life care? And, of course, that's part of even legal planning because we go into the living will and choices to be made there for quality of life uh, if it's end-of-life care. What arrangements have they made financially and legally? Uh, you know, have they made funeral plans? These are things that it would really be helpful for the children uh, to know about because, you know, they don't have a roadmap to your life unless you provide it to them. You know, they're not just going to be able to realize one day, oh, dad had a stroke or a bad accident or a bad fall. Now I have to figure out what accounts does he have? What banks does he use? How am I going to get all the bills paid? What if he only receives his uh, statements by email? And I don't know how to get into his email. What kind of a roadmap have you left for them? Because that's going to make life a lot better for them and for you. It will be a seamless transition plan if you've taken the time to just tell them where to find things. And it, it you know, it takes a little bit of intentional thought. You have to think, you know, going through your day, what are the things that I do? Who do I talk to? Who are the professionals who have helped us? You know, what's their contact information? Where is my uh, financial advisor? Have I used an accountant? Do I have an estate planning attorney? Who are these people? I just want to have it all laid out in case one of my children needs to uh, to get in touch with them. 
But in, in this discussion about the older adults' preferences, their plans, what, what have they done uh, to be ready for this, each of the, let's say, children needs to address their own willingness to participate in caregiving if it should arise. I mean, that's really my topic for today. They have to think about the geography, their, their lifestyle. You know, how often are they on the road for work? Uh, how often are they uh, taking care of their own children? What is their emotional state when it comes to not only intense, frequent, but even intimate uh, caregiving for a parent? So they're thinking about their schedule. They're thinking about their strengths, their limitations. Um, and don't assume that every single family member is going to view this the same way. And you might be surprised by having this conversation because, you know, if, if there are very different viewpoints on whether mom stays in the home or not, just to take one example that, that will sometimes lead to tension or or going to this nursing home or that really nice personal care facility, there might just be very different expectations and it helps to sort of set rules, uh, for lack of a better word here, just the, the rules for decision making. How is How are we going to come to a consensus? How do we avoid duplicating each other? contradicting each other, second-guessing each other. Because without some uh, expectation, a meeting of the minds, the stress of that crisis and the ongoing responsibilities is just going to go much, it's off the charts, and it's going to seem like a minefield. Anytime you hear from a, a family member, uh, if, if they are, they're not on the same page because there were no rules set, uh, it's just going to be a lot harder. So without with that kind of pre-planning, then all of the caregiving family members can be on the same page. The care can be provided more efficiently and effectively, and it'll all be done without some threat of confrontation when a new decision has to be made or, or a task is delegated. Probably one of the biggest sources of stress uh, when it's, let's say, the children providing uh, care is there's a feeling that one child ha- just is refusing to step up to the plate. And it might be because it's impossible because they're on the other side of the country. Or, I don't know, they're just, maybe they don't, they're questioning their own ability to provide that care. But there is a way for everybody to uh, to to provide some help in some way, even if it's only, you know, if you're the one from, from a long distance location, um, you know, offering to make calls schedule doctor appointments, facilitate information, just check in with the person who's local and who is doing all of the sort of driving and maybe the the uh, intense, you know, physical help in the home, checking in on their emotional and their physical well-being. There's a way everybody can contribute, but at the very least, you know, don't be the the, the, the seagull who flies in from time to time and just makes a mess all over the place and then flies away. That's the worst possible scenario, and it's so common. And and it's, it, you know, and I, I don't know if people realize what they're doing, but it's probably from a lack of understanding what caregiving really means and how stressful it can be and how tiring it can be. But, you know, having a little bit of consideration for the people who are sort of on the front lines goes much, much further. So. Again, having everybody have an, an accurate understanding about the care needs of the individual uh, is probably a great place to start. 
you know, what are we even talking about here? If, if, if one person doesn't think I'm doing enough or another person thinks I'm overreacting, maybe there's a lack of understanding about the care needs. And the person who's further away might not see the decline that happens with, let's say, dementia. They just don't see it. They, they only come in from time to time or they hear someone on the phone. That's not enough. And so, again, as I mentioned earlier, having a third party like a physician or a close friend or a neighbor, somebody who's maybe an objective observer who can weigh in and say, no, it's true. This is what's going on with the person who needs help. And so the rest of you really ought to rally in whatever way you can to provide some support. Well before this all happens, there there is conversation, there is uh legal planning, there is financial planning. If you even have a hint that this is where things are heading for someone in your family, sit down and start having these conversations. Make an appointment with us because we're going to look at what legal planning you've done. We're going to give you a very specific view of where things could be headed and how you could be building a shield to make it all more manageable. More on all of this when we come back with the Later in Life Planning Show on News Radio WHP 580. It's the Later in Life Planning Show here on News Radio WHP 580. Now, your host, Patrick Colley. We are back on the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. I am your host, Patrick Colley. Today, I've been talking about um, lessening the surprise that a lot of people seem to have when it comes to caregiving for a family member. Just the the amount of energy that it takes, the financial issues, the interpersonal conflict that, that can come up, and, and so much of it is avoidable. And that's where good planning ahead is just starting this conversation and just trying to imagine who's in the best position to be helpful, to be effective, to be uh, resilient enough to go through with being a family caregiver, and, and what kind of supports are they going to need? I would be remiss if I did not say that that ultimately uh, that conversation I mentioned earlier uh, in the show where I said, you know, I'm, I'm helping the, the parent. And by the time we get through a number of legal steps and financial steps, uh, a parent is getting the care they need and it's being paid for without the family going completely broke. Um, and then the adult children um, in the most appreciative way possible, say to me, I, I don't have any, I mean, this was a foreign language to me, and I never really wanted to learn this foreign language, but they say, I don't have any of this planning. I don't see how my family would be ready for this. And so I say, well, let's do something about that. So th- the whole exercise of getting ready for, in part, the emotional side of it, because if you have a good incapacity plan, you have a power of attorney, you have maybe a trust you have a healthcare power of attorney. That's all going to keep things going seamlessly without having to go to a courthouse um, and have intervention where a judge names a decision maker for you to make all of your life decisions. You know, that's at a very basic level. That's what your estate plan should be. It's not just your will. It's not just who gets your stuff when you pass away. It's what if I don't have any stuff because I didn't manage incapacity um, but a lot of this comes down to the financial um, concern as well. I mean, I've talked a lot about how you can you can plan for emotional turmoil when it comes to a caregiving situation, but you can also set yourself up for success in a 
in a caregiving situation with that incapacity plan and by preserving assets too. Because if you go to just about any nursing home in South Central Pennsylvania, on a long enough timeline, I would say at least 70% of the people there are on Medicaid. And Medicaid is how they're they're paying $13,000 a month for their care. Most people don't have pockets that deep where they can just keep writing checks for $13,000 a month without it having an impact on a healthier spouse at home or you know the and not to mention that that I've never met the person who spent decades saving and and being disciplined about their spending only so that they can part ways with all of their money in their final year or two of life when they need that level of care that's just not what people have in mind they want they want to give their family a leg up so good good estate planning is not just uh, the incapacity plan so that you avoid the emotional turmoil. It's having a, an asset preservation strategy as well. And this is what I talk about in my workshop on middle-class estate planning and asset protection. I talk about it in, in a separate workshop uh, that I do called How Will You Pay for Long-Term Care? These are all available for free. Um, you just go to keystoneelderlaw.com and hit the workshops tab and you can get registered for the next one that's coming up and take it in from the comfort of your own home. But a lot of what it comes down to is understanding the Medicaid rules where they're going to look at your income. They're going to look at everything you have in savings or real estate that you own or vehicles that you own. And then they're going to look at gifting the so-called five-year look back. So they're going to look at income savings and gifting. And then we're also concerned down the road about something called estate recovery, where the government gets paid back for all of the care they provided by coming after your estate. So if if you're not aware of this and you're over the age of about 45 or 50, well, th- th- this is a reality for most people. And this is the foreign language that a lot of people don't want to know about or, or didn't take the time to learn. But, you know, if you get yourself into a situation where you need nursing home care, you know, your social, your social security, your pension, that's the income. That just goes to the nursing home every month. That's your patient pay responsibility. And it won't come anywhere near paying the whole bill for the cost of nursing home care, but Medicaid will pay thousands of dollars on top of your income every month. That, that category is easy enough. You move on to the second category, and it's everything you have in savings. And, and it pretty much has to turn into nothing, but the law does allow you certain tools and mechanisms to keep money in your family, especially if you have a healthier spouse at home, you want to make sure they're going to have enough money to live on. So we have to jump through a number of hoops where they will overlook your primary residence, they will overlook one car, if your spouse at home has an IRA or a Roth IRA, 401k, they will overlook that as well. But everything else, it doesn't matter whose name it's in. So that bank account that's in one spouse's name or the other or the joint account, doesn't matter. It's all under consideration and we have to go through steps to basically drive that money down to nothing while saving 100% of what you have. That's what the law allows you to do. And the only ethical thing for me to do 
as an attorney is to look for every legal avenue uh, to support your best interests. And if I see a spouse who's at home and might have another 20 years of good health, I, I do not want that person going into poverty. So we're going to be looking at Medicaid planning. We're going to be using the power of attorney to access accounts, to liquidate them, to move the money over in a very orderly fashion that's prescribed by Medicaid law. Not a do-it-yourself project, by the way. This is some complicated stuff, but we're going to move all that money in an orderly fashion over to the spouse living at home. And then the last question, once we do that, is has there been any gifting? In the last five years, have you been giving money to the children or grandchildren? Um, you might ask, well, what if I'm you know, giving birthday gifts? Well, you know, we can talk about that. By the letter of the law, transfers of more than $500 in any given month total to it doesn't matter how many recipients, if you go over $500, you've just made yourself ineligible for Medicaid for a period of time. So we have to manage the gifting as well. If all of this is brand new, you've never even heard this before, this really ought to be baked into your estate planning. The ability to access accounts, the ability to do asset preservation with your accounts. So if we have to move large sums of money out of your name so that it stays in your family and you become eligible for Medicaid, that has to be authorized by your power of attorney. You have to, you know, protect certain assets because you're just not allowed to have them. If You know, if you have uh, secondary properties where your, your primary residence is not, so vacation properties, land that's been in the family, you have to sell that. You're just not allowed to have it. And then we have to do something with the money so that you're broke and you're eligible for Medicaid. So if that strikes you as something, a situation you don't want to be in, you have to do planning. And they're probably trust planning to protect everything from these harsh rules that require you to go broke when you are one of the 70% who needs a higher level of care and it gets very expensive. This is all hardwired right into good middle class estate planning because the reality is a lot of us are going to find ourselves not only in the caregiving role, but in the care receiving role. And, you know, to, there, there's a season for, for everything. And, and first we'll be the caregivers and then we'll be the care recipients. But what I want is for it not to be a surprise to anybody what emotionally goes into this, what financially and legally goes into this. There are a lot of considerations. And it, when you leave it to the last second and all of a sudden there's an incapacitating event and there's no conversations about how are we going to deal with this there's no legal planning at all so now you know it's going to be a long road ahead involving going to court um you know it can all go so much smoother with a little bit of preparation again i i will strongly recommend if if any of this is coming as a surprise to you please go to keystoneelderlaw.com and use the workshops tab to get signed up for one of the upcoming workshops. I'm also doing a number of in-person seminars these days, and maybe you got something in the mail with my smiling face on it, and um, I'll be seeing you soon at some local venue. It's all the same effort, just getting the word out, making sure people are having these conversations. You know, I realize that this is a foreign language to most people, and it's not something that you see on TV that everybody wants to talk about, Everybody wants to be young and healthy, but this is what's coming. And I hope that this has been thought-provoking for you and for, for people 
in your family that you start having these conversations. You look at your legal planning, your financial planning, and you start building a shield to protect you from the costs and the challenges of getting older. I am so thankful that you listened to this show, the Later in Life Planning Show. I hope you'll join me for another episode next week, right here on News Radio WHP 580.